Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. Yes! Welcome to Inspire Church family. Thank you so much. It is 4th of July. Happy Independence Day. It's just a, a beautiful country to be a part of, even in its ugliness. I know we all feel a kind of way in different spaces and places, but I thank God that we are here. And I thank God that there's the church of Christ in this country to continue to be a light and bring people from darkness to light. But we celebrate um, this country and it's, and, and it's good and it's bad and it's ugly. It is our home. And so I I want to say happy 4th of July to everyone here, to everyone tuning in online. And you know, if you're tuning in online and you're on vacation somewhere, if you're in here today, you know, I know it's, you know, the, the return of the Jedi summer, you know what I mean? Like, this is like the epic summer. We're trying to live two summers in one, and there's just so many things that were taken away from us, and so I get it, but thank you for being here this morning and just giving God glory, and I'm sure you have some amazing plans today, but again, I'm just so grateful uh, to be here and to be able to give the word and praise Jesus because he alone is worthy of all honor, all glory, and all praise. If nothing else, you're not here for a man. You're not here for a woman. You are here for Christ Jesus. And so um, I think he deserves some praise. So again, can we just praise and give me a hand clap and amen, amen. Um, Today, we are going to talk about sin. Congratulations. You came today. We're talking about sin. Uh, and uh, we're going to talk about the doctrine of sin. As Kat had mentioned, we've been going through our foundation sermon series uh, last week. Pastor Roger did an incredible job when he navigated through science and the scriptures. Uh, do they agree? Are there contradictions? Uh, we talked about the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, we've been talking about some really amazing kind of doctrinal spaces. And uh, it's just been a, a great time. You guys are free to go and check out our podcast and YouTube. If you missed one, um, they are out there and available. I'm excited for what's to come. We're going to start moving away from the more doctrinal uh, conversations and moving into ethical conversations uh, starting um, the next couple of Sundays. And so uh, we will be talking about abortion. We'll be talking about uh, gender identity. Um, and we will be uh, talking about justice what does that look like? Um, and so we have some, uh, uh, really some incredible conversations that sometimes can be a little fear, it can be a little scary to have that conversation considering the polarization out there. And some of us have some preconceived notions about what the church thinks, but I guarantee you the word of God is good. It's beautiful. It's right. It's lovely. If you believe he is creator and he is loving, then you believe he's got something beautiful to say. And so um, I'm excited to pray through and articulate through what I believe the scripture has to say in those regards. So I hope that you would make it back as we kind of follow, uh, as we continue through this sermon series. One thing I want to do before I preach as well, I want to give a shout out to Motivate Coffee, who is serving coffee here in the hallway. For many of you know about Motivate, they've been with us, partnering with us, serve coffee at our events. They're members of our church. Colin and Carolyn is so amazing. You got to ask them about the testimony. So they are having an official grand opening coming soon. They have a coffee shop, a window with some spaces outside 
outside to, to drink coffee and enjoy yourself. And in Oakland, and it's beautiful, you need to ask them about that testimony. So as you walk out, you get coffee and you get a little discount uh, for their grand opening. Ask them about the testimony uh, of that shop. And so we're just so excited to see them all the way through this. And so they're out there. And so I just want to make sure I send them some love and make sure I point you guys in that direction. This morning, we are going to talk about probably the most devastating thing to ever happen to humanity. Sin is the bad news of the scriptures. In fact, because it is the most devastating thing to ever happen to humanity, and because it is the bad news of scriptures, this is why many, uh, in some regards, understandably deny sin. Uh, uh, run from sin, even inside of the church. Not only that, but let's be honest, there are some churches and some pastors that avoid sin because sin doesn't fill the pews or fill, fill the pockets. But we cannot downplay the devastation or the doctrine of sin. We cannot avoid it. We cannot run from it, deny it, preach around it. Because regardless of how sin, the topic of sin might make you feel, regardless how it might make you feel, a gospel, a gospel without acceptance and repentance of sin is powerless and pointless. A gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is powerless and pointless without the doctrine of sin. Listen, a Christianity without sin is a Christianity without Christ. When we see the ugliness of our sin, you might be asking, what do you mean by that? When we see the ugliness of our sin, we should also see the beauty of our Savior. And if we understand the beauty of the gospel, sin in some ways can be an enhancement of worship. Because if you know how sinful you are and you understand, you understand how good your Savior is. And so there is a dynamic of beautiful and ugly in sin. But we have to be able to get beyond and get past this avoiding, running around, denying. Because the doctrine of sin is real. It's devastating and it's ugly. But there's beauty in Christ Jesus. And so with that being said, let's, if you have your Bibles, your Bible apps, we'll also have it for you on the screen. Let's open to Romans chapter five, and I'm going to read verses 12 through 21, and then we're going to kind of break down this text and go through a journey uh, throughout this foundations series. We've been actually on every slide, you'll actually see a phone number on the slide. And the reason why that phone number is there is if you have any questions and you wanna submit your questions, and we've been doing this every week and the questions are usually submitted, and then we'll answer the questions on Wednesday. And so I want you to know that uh, when you do submit the questions, the staff, there's three of us that will see who submitted it, but nobody else will submit it. So it's anonymous in a sense, not fully anonymous, not in the sense that nobody outward is gonna know, but the staff, we will know. I wanna make sure I say that because because I said anonymous week one and that was not, that was not correct. Um, we will see the question and we'll see who asked and then we will answer these questions online and we'll do our best. You know, you only have about a, you know, about a minute on, on Instagram to try to answer some you know, really deep philosophical question and we do our best. I think Rob, Pastor Roger and myself have done as best as we can and so if you're following us on Instagram, we do this every Wednesday and so feel free to shoot us a text and uh, shoot us a question and let's say maybe your question maybe goes a little bit deeper, a little bit further 
further or your question maybe is kind of per, per, uh, pertaining to something even bigger than, than what the actual topic was, we will also call you and let you know, hey, we may not answer it on Instagram, but we'd love to still answer it for you. We don't want to leave things unanswered. And so uh, you are going to see that throughout, um, uh, throughout the service, throughout the slides. And so feel free to ask questions. We've been getting some great questions. Y'all have been doing a great job. And so I just wanted to make sure I reminded you of that. Romans chapter 5 Uh, verse 12 through 21. In this particular section of the book of Romans, Paul is expressing the future hope we have in Jesus. There's coming a day, there's coming a time, there's a future glory that we have in Christ Jesus. And in this particular section, Paul is about to parallel the consequences of Adam's sin and the blessing that we have in Christ's obedience. And so I'm going to read through this and then we'll kind, of, we'll kind of journey through the doctrine of sin and bring this text back full circle. And so Romans chapter 5, verse 12 through 21. Y'all ready? Amen. Okay. It reads like this, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin, is inde- for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. I gotta read that again. If you didn't hear anything else, because Paul writes and run on sometimes. <laughs> for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were, made right- many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now, The law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That was a lot. There were some beautiful things in there, so let's pray, and then we'll break that down. Heavenly Father, we pray in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, that your words would not come back void, even as we grapple and wrestle through a devastating doctrine of the scriptures. But I pray at the end of this, God, that we won't end in ugly, that we'll end in beauty, uh, because that's what you have brought, um, beauty out of ashes. And so I pray, Lord, that your word uh, would just 
be illuminated through my words in the hearts and minds of all those that are here. And we ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 I want to submit to you, before we observe the state of the fall in Genesis chapter 3, before we, go, before we turn to Genesis 3 in the beginning where it all kind of went down, before we observe the state of the fall, the state of the world after the fall in Genesis 3, I think it's really important that we first observe the state of the world prior to the fall in Genesis 1 and 2. And so Genesis is the story. Genesis 1 through 3 is this kind of creation narrative, this creation story of how God created the world. And Genesis 3 is really notorious because that's where sin entered into the world. But before we talk about sin entering in Genesis 3, I want to talk about how the world existed prior to that in Genesis 1 and 2. Did you know that God created all things good? That the pre-fall reality, the pre-fall reality of creation and humanity was perfect. Did you know that? In fact, Proverbs chapter 8 tells us that God delighted in his creation while he was creating. Like God doesn't delight in negative, wrong, bad, imperfect things. And so God was creating and delighting in his creation. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it reveals that when God created man, he created man in his image. And then later in third, verses 31 of Genesis 1, we're told God sat back. God saw everything that he had made. And you know what he said? Behold, it was what? Very good. In fact, throughout the creation narrative, God creates and then he declares it's good. It's good. It's good. And then he sits back and looks at everything and says that it is very good. God is not going to call something bad good. And so the Christian understanding... If you are a believer, and maybe if you're not a believer and you're here today, you can at least kind of understand how we see things. The Christian understanding of the origin of the cosmos is not an accidental happenstance. Right? We, we don't believe that there was just some sort of random set of events that kind of had these collision of forces kind of combusted as they collided. And so the, the Christian worldview regarding the origin of the cosmos is not of happenstance or a random collision of forces. Christians believe that all of creation was the intentional result and good design of a loving creator who completed his work and that work, are you ready, was his work of art. Let me say that again. If you are a follower of Christ, you're a believer in the scriptures, you believe that all creation was the intentional, purpose-filled result, the good design of a loving creator whose completed creation was his work of art. In fact, these two worldviews between random happenstance and intentional creation, these two worldviews are the difference between you seeing your life and the world as either a random chaotic accident or a purposeful and beautiful work of arts. If you believe that we were here on accident, that it was just a combustion of forces, then it is, at the end of the day, random and accidental. You came from nowhere, 
you're going nowhere. <laughs> and that's it. But if you believe that a loving design, a designer, a creator, created creation very good and step back to admire it, that it was a work of art with a purpose and intention and a plan, then you have purpose. You have reason to believe purpose in your life at the most fundamental level. And what's really amazing for Christians is that humanity images that creator. Isn't that beautiful? And so not only were we created by a loving designer, but then we were imaged. We were made in that loving designer's image. And as image bearers, Adam and Eve, the first humans, were created, are you ready? Righteous, pure, and without sin. Theologian Christopher Morgan puts it like this. In the beginning... God creates a good cosmos with good humans who have good relationships with God, themselves, one another, and creation itself. Say that again. Genesis 1 and 2. Everything's very good. In the beginning, God creates a good cosmos with good humans. That makes me laugh all the time. I don't know why. Like, good human. <laughs> good cosmos with good humans who have good relationships with God, good relationships with themselves, with one another, and with all of creation. So even when discussing sin, because we're getting there, it's important that we start here in Genesis 1 and 2 so that we can make two really important points before we dive into the doctrine of sin. And again, I don't have all day to be here. I won't be able to cover it all. But there are two points that I want to make before we talk about sin itself. Are you ready? Number one, God is not the author of sin. God is not the author of sin. And number two, sin, are you ready? This is amazing, is not the natural state of things. Sin is not the natural state of things. So what do I mean by that? Number one, God is not the author of sin. In 1 John chapter one, verse five, scripture tells us God is light and in him is no darkness, no darkness. James 1.13 says this, God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. You see, there was a time when there was no sin because God made things very good. Sin's entrance into God's good creation was not a direct result of God, but a direct result of Adam's will to sin. Are you with me? Just setting these building blocks up as we go. So number one, God is not the author of sin. In Genesis chapters one and two, we see that he made all things very good. Number two, sin is not the natural state of creation. You see, what the world calls, that's just the way it is, honey. <laughs> right? Anybody ever gave you that advice? Like, that's the worst advice. I'm like, that's just how it is. What, what the world and the culture would say, that is just the way it is. Christians reject and reply. This was not how it was supposed to be, nor it's not how it's going to be. So when the world says, oh, this is just how things are, the Christian's worldview, it gives, it kind of invigorates and impassions you and says, no, this is not how things have always been. And this is not how things will always be. And that tension, it creates a passion and a burden and burst forth a decision to fight for justice. It burst forth a decision to love others. You know, the Christian worldview gives us justification to be able to fight for what's right. 
what the world calls just the way that it is, Christians reject and reply, this was not how it was supposed to be. And we have good news. It's not how it's going to be. Listen, because sin is not original, it is, it's not eternal. It won't last. Sin is neither original nor eternal. As a result, it's not final. Amen. Now, based on Genesis 1 and 2, a Christian then would reject the dualistic philosophies that are out there. Let me give you an example. You ever heard like the yin and yang, right? The biblical worldview demonstrates that there is only one ultimate reality. It's not that like good and evil has always existed in these kind of opposite opposing forces and they kind of balance each other out and they need each other. Like evil needs good and good needs evil in order, like those, those are kind of eternal dualistic. That's not the biblical worldview. The biblical worldview is not dualistic. The biblical worldview, if you are a Christian, would believe this, that there is only one ultimate reality and he is eternally good. He's eternally good. Eternally good. And because sin is unnatural, death is unnatural. But you didn't know that, right? Death is just a natural part of life. No, not according to the scriptures. In fact, if you're a believer, let me just correct you going forward. You should never accept death as a natural way things are. Because sin is unnatural, death is unnatural. Because sin is unnatural, sickness, disease, and decay is unnatural. Because sin is unnatural, pain, sorrow, sadness, abuse, they're all unnatural. I love this. Only the biblical worldview gives us the passion and permission to fight injustices and to make things right because only the biblical worldview can rightfully declare this may be how it is but this is not how it's supposed to be nor how it will ultimately be and so this is our origin story God created all things good God blessed man amen he blessed man with, he blessed Adam with companionship. He gave both of them paradise to delight in, in the garden. God gave mankind the ability to procreate. And then he surrounded them with the good gifts of light, land, animals, and vegetation. Isn't that amazing? In fact, you know, it's interesting. Obviously, God couldn't have created man in day one. God creates man last. A couple of reasons. Number one, man is the crown jewel of his creation. But number two, God creates the environment perfectly suited for him and places him in that environment. And that environment becomes a good gift of God to his creation, which is why worship doesn't just happen when you're singing a song. But you could be on vacation, swimming in the ocean and worshiping God because he created this for us in our enjoyment. Also, you know what Genesis 1 and 2 does, and I, I, can't, I, I don't want to stay here too long, but also kind of Christians should protect the environment more than anybody else. Yeah. You know that? Isn't that kind of strange? Because we kind of come from a time or whatever, we just kind of roll our eyes at some people. And they go a little extreme because they worship creation and not creator. So we don't, we don't want, we want to make sure we're not mixing that, but Christians should be the ones protecting the environment. We should be the ones cared and concerned about it. Why? Because this is God's good gift. Fascinating, isn't it? 
So man, God gives man all of these great gifts, but guess what he does? He gives him one, <laughs> one prohibition, one divine prerogative, one prohibition. <laughs> no, here it is. In Genesis chapter two, verses 16 and 17, he says this. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. Isn't that a trip? You can have it all. <laughs> you can have it all. But, you know, we focus on that one, but you can't have, right? God says, you can eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. You can have it all. Just don't, not that one. And man's like, ooh, okay, what's that one look like? I guess I'm the only one. Like, I'm that guy, right? I'm the one thing you can't have. That's like, okay, how do I get that? You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Hmm. So what is sin? Where did sin come from and what are its effects? And again, I, can't, I don't have all month to be here and talk to you about sin, but we're gonna kind of hit these high level marks together. What is sin? Where did sin come from? And what are its effects? What is sin? Sin kind of most basic definition, both in Hebrew and Greek, is really to miss the mark. It's to aim (laughs) and miss the mark. It's an air ball, is essentially what sin is. It's to miss the mark, it's to miss the target, it's to miss the goal. Sin is, are you ready? Humanity's failure to image God. It's humanity's failure to image God, to represent and reflect this loving, good creator in creation. Sin, at its most fundamental level, are you ready? Maybe you want to write this down. Sin is a demonstration of, at its most fundamental level, this might speak to you, distrust. Sin ultimately is a place of distrust. What do I mean by that? Sin is saying, God, what you have for me is not good. Like your good plan and intention for my life, God, isn't good. I don't trust that what you have for me is my ultimate joy, my ultimate pleasure, my ultimate satisfaction. And so at its most fundamental level, it's a trust thing. Sin is saying, God, what you have for me is not good. It's not lovely. Sin is saying, God, you don't know what's best for me. In fact, sin is saying, God, I know better. I can govern myself. I can run my own life. I can self-determine what is right and what is wrong. I, 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 I can do it. I can discern. I can decide. Now watch, in, in God's prohibition, when he told Adam not to eat of one tree in the garden, in his prohibition, God was essentially teaching Adam to trust him. He's telling Adam that even though, Adam, you're the pinnacle of creation, right? Even though you're the pinnacle of God's creation, you're still a creature. (laughs) I know I hear that. I don't know. They're probably doing some work over there or something. (laughs) God bless everyone on this side. (laughs) But, you know, he's essentially telling Adam, you know what he's saying? He's saying, even though you're the pinnacle of my creation, don't get haughty. You're still a creature. Hmm. You're still a creature, Adam. They were still creatures in need of a loving creator's, ready? Will and word. 
in order to thrive and flourish. Are you with me? So he's telling, he's telling Adam, listen, you were the pinnacle of my creation. I made all of this. I put you in it for your good pleasure, but don't get high or haughty. At the end of the day, you are a creature and you are still in need of a loving creator's will and word to thrive and flourish. Notice I said thrive and flourish. It's not to be a slave, <laughs> right? I need you to be slaves and be miserable your whole life. And that's not what God says. You need my will and word to thrive and flourish. There's so much in that. I can go on for a long time with that. And so what is sin? It's to miss the mark. It's to fail to image God in creation. It's to fundamentally distrust God doesn't have your best interests in mind. And those prohibitions that he gives, those laws and commandments and everything that you think religion and Christianity is to be, all that's just to make me a cosmic killjoy. Number two, where did sin, where did it come from? This is also fascinating because Romans 5, 12 tells us that sin came into the world through one man, which is Adam. So we know but I, but I want to say sin came into the world, but you know, sin didn't originate in the world or Adam. Sin actually originated. In fact, sin, sin didn't even originate in the human nature as we know, because God didn't create man sinful. And here's what's really interesting. Before Adam sinned on earth, Satan sinned in the presence of God in heaven. Before Adam fell, there was already a tempting serpent in the garden looking for an opportunity to replicate his own fall. Are you with me? This is a parallel between the pride of Satan in heaven and the pride of man on earth and how Satan fell in the presence of God and then went into the garden as a serpent and waited for Adam and Eve to come and tempt them so he could replicate that fall. And what does he say? What does Satan do? Right? He, and I don't have time to read it, but if you go to Genesis 3 and you kind of unfold the whole plot of temptation, ultimately, this is what he does. He, he, he tells Eve, did God really say, like, are you sure God don't, you know, God don't, there's some things God don't want you to know, right? He didn't really mean that, or he did, but he, he, there's, he, he knows that when you eat that, you're going to be what? Like him. You're going to be like him. It's fascinating because Satan calls into question God's goodness, right? Isn't that a question? Like, God... If God were good, he would have told you all the good stuff, but he withheld from you. So he calls into question God's goodness. He calls into question God's truthfulness. And he deceives the first couple into thinking that they could be Lord over their own lives. Fascinating. Fascinating, right? So you have what is sin? Where did sin come from? And what is the consequences of their sin? What's the consequences of sin? Two words I think can best encapsulate the devastation of sin. And trust me, two words won't do it justice, but it's death and alienation, which essentially are the same things in, in, in different ways, but I'll explain. Death and alienation. And again, re go through Genesis 1, 2, and 3 this week. You know, if you want to go back and kind of read through or you want to have a private devotion, just follow through. I know we're not doing small groups and connects, but you process through this because again, I'm giving you kind of high view here. But death and alienation. What do I mean by that? Number one, sin caused them, they were alienated from God, right? It's interesting. Not only did sin cause Adam and Eve to hide from God, but also it was the reason why God removed them from the delight of the garden. And so he kind of 
kicks man out of the garden and that garden is a place of delight. Paradise was also a place of connection and presence. The garden is actually a temple type, type of temple, the presence of God with man. And we've been trying to get back to that place ever since. And we will be restored because we'll be back with Christ. It's fascinating, but not only did sin cause Adam and Eve to hide from God, immediately they sinned, they hid. (laughs) It's like a natural instinct, right? And so this removal from the presence of God is spiritual death. It separated them from the loving, life-giving source of their existence. It's a separation. They were alienated from God. Number two, they were alienated from themselves. Sin caused them immediate shame. Did you know that? So they opened, their eyes were open, they were, they, and they realized they were naked. They've been naked the whole time, but they realized they were naked. You know what's crazy is they sewed up fig leaves. They sewed up leaves to cover themselves, right? Sin caused them immediate shame and they became overwhelmed by the need to cover up. Hmm. It's interesting. Sinners instinctively knew that their sins needed covering. That's actually a good thing. The only problem is, is they tried to cover themselves with designer fig leaves, right? And that's not mine. Might've been Lecrae that said that. Right? So they, they fashionably created designer fillies and covered their nakedness because they instinctively knew when they sinned, they had to hide and cover up. And they knew that sin needs covering, which is actually theologically correct. Where they got it wrong was they covered in their own strength. They covered in their own works, in their own clothes, but they needed to be covered by God in his work. So the motive is good covering. It's almost a sense of guilt, an admitting of guilt, but then to cover yourself in your own strength, in your own clothes. In fact, you'll read in the parable of the wedding feast, the man gets kicked out because he's not wearing the right attire. He's wearing his own clothes, his own righteousness, his own pride. He's not wearing the righteousness of Christ. You can sew together... (laughs) All the designer clothes you want, but unless God does the covering himself, it doesn't cover. And the fall touched everything about them, guys. It's touched them emotionally, psychologically, physiologically, mind, body, and soul, paving the way for death, disease, decay. Everything from physical health to mental health in between sin touched it all. And so they were alienated from God and they were alienated from themselves they were also alienated from one another. You know, what's crazy is that when God came in after they hid, they blamed, well, it's that wife you gave me, <laughs> right? And I was like, well, it's, it's that, it's that, it's your creation, right? It's all, you know, what you did, you know, it's this blame, it's this blame game. You start blaming and, and we have the introduction of this warfare intention, not with not just a warfare intention internal, but a warfare and intention external with one another. And so we have his alienation from self, but we also have alienation from one another. Sin drove them to blame each other. And this self-preserving, self-justifying need would eventually evolve into a future of violence, greed, power, theft, lust, hatred, strife, jealousy, murder, and war. We see from the fall, from Genesis 4, 5, all the way on, things become increasingly worse. Like I said, if you don't believe me, just continue to read the narrative. You know what's really fascinating as I'm saying this? 
Genesis one and two is like how it's supposed to be. And then the rest of the Bible is like trying to get back there. It's fascinating. It's a story of how God is bringing us back there. They were alienated from themselves, alienated from God, alienated from one another, and also alienated from creation. Right? The scriptures say thorns grew, thistles grew, weeds grew, the sweat of their brow, the pain of childbearing would be a constant reminder of the comprehensive nature of sin, the fall. And finally, this decision to rebel against God and to be Lord of their own lives would also invite divine wrath. Right, which would ultimately lead to eternal alienation from God. That's what hell is. It's not like you know fire and pitchforks and demons poking at you, and you know it, it's actually in some regards that's silly, but it's much worse than that. It's this eternal alienation from the presence of God. Some of you ask why? Because justice demands injustice demands justice. God's good. God's loving, but He's just. He's good. And if these things weren't devastating enough, perhaps the most devastating aspect of the fall, Paul outlines here. Thank you, Paul. In Romans 5. Listen, in verse 15, he says, many died through one man's trespass. Verse 16, he says, the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. Verse 17 says, because of one man's trespass, death reigned. Right, many are like, thanks, Adam, thanks, Adam. You want to say thanks, Adam, every time, but I'll explain what in a moment. In verse 18, one trespass led to condemnation for all men. Verse 19, by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Wow. You see, Adam wasn't just a, merely a bad example, and we all follow his example, but he was humanity's representative before God. Did you know that? The entire human race was in Adam when he sinned. Theologically, this leads to three things. And we're, we're, we're coming, we're, we're doing well here, cruising. Three things this leads to. In Adam, man sinned. So number one, in Adam, we are all condemned. We're guilty of his sin. You may find this to be unfair. <laughs> but the truth is, if you'd been there, you would have done the same thing. David says in Psalm 51, 5, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. So there's already a guilt there. You might want to ask some good questions there as well. If you have some questions, there are different thoughts. Number two, in Adam, we're already condemned. Number two, in Adam, our human nature has been corrupted by sin, right? So in, in Genesis one and two, there's a human nature uncorrupted by sin. In Genesis three, from that point forward, human nature is corrupted by sin. So not only are we guilty, but we're all born with the tendency towards sin, right? Our loves and affections have been corrupted by sin. Our attitudes and actions have been corrupted by sin. We commit sins of commission, things we do, and sins of omission, things that we didn't do. We sin in the heart. A lot of people, when we talk about sin, it's usually boiled down to some sort of negative behavior. And so I said, well, you know, if we talk about repenting of sin, we start thinking about how did we sin this week? We always go to what are the things that I did? But sin is so pervasive that it goes into the affections and the emotions, the heart. It's not just what I did, but what I thought, the will internally. Jesus said this, right? Not only committing adultery, but if you even look at another man's wife with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery, right? So sin isn't just this external behavior, but it's this internal thought process. And guess what? All of us are guilty of it. 
in Adam, our human nature had been corrupted. Our failure to image God and to trust his word has condemned us all. Romans 3 verse 10 says, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. Romans 3, 23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So number one, in Adam, we're all, we are already condemned. Number two, in Adam, our human nature has been corrupted by sin. And number three, in Adam, we may stand condemned, but in Christ, we can be justified. I love that. There's a way of escape. There's a way of coming back. There's a way of getting to Genesis 1 and 2 again. There's a way of being whole and healed. In Adam, we may stand condemned, but in Christ, we are justified. Paul tells us in Romans 5, 14, Adam was a type of the one to come. Adam was a type. In other words, there's another, there's a greater Adam coming, but Adam was a type. Are y'all with me? Praise God. Praise God. Adam was a type of the one to come. Praise God. In other words, Adam's headship does not have to have the final say over my life. I don't have to be in Adam. I can be in Christ. Praise God. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Whereas Adam failed to obey God on a tree, Jesus obeys God on a tree. Whereas Adam's sin brought death, Jesus' death brought eternal life. In Adam, we are condemned, but in Christ, Christ, we are justified. In Adam, we are born into sin and destined for wrath. In Christ, we are born again into righteousness and predestined to eternal life. I'm going to say that again because that's probably my most, I love this one particular phrase more than any other in my notes. In Adam, we are born into sin and destined to eternal wrath. In Christ, we are born again. We're born again. We're born again into righteousness and predestined for eternal glory. Wow. Hmm. And it's not just Paul. Even in the beginning, God demonstrates grace. Right after the fall, and God is coming and he is saying what happened and they're going through the whole motions. They hid from him, they covered up and listen to what God says. I love this. God demonstrates his grace. In Genesis 3, 15, he preaches the gospel. He, said, he tells the snake this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Here it is. He, referring to a particular offspring that's coming, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So he tells to the serpent, this is called the proto-evangelical. It's the first preaching of the gospel by God himself. He made a way already made away. He says, from your offspring, someone is coming, a he is coming. You're going to bruise his heel. You're going you're gonna to wound him, but he's going to bruise your head, which is a significant, significant that he's going to step on his authority. He's going to crush his head. Fascinating. Notice Jesus will bring us back full circle, right? The ultimate Moses bringing the children of God out of bondage, through the wilderness. Y'all in the wilderness right now, right? You know, the wilderness, you know, the children are going through the wilderness, complaining and going through all of this sanctification process, but there's a promised land. Yeah. 
which the greater Moses, Jesus Christ, will bring his people back to for eternity. And this promised land isn't gonna be just for a time or a season, but it'll be forever. This is the hope that we have. It's a hope. It's a hope that we have. It's a hope that we have. And we take that hope as Christians into everything. We take that hope into our fight for justice. We take that hope into everything that we do. We take that hope into every place that we go. We take that hope to our families. We take that hope in our workplace. We have this hope that Jesus, the greater Moses, will lead us to the promised land. In Christ, God will make the world natural again. Not a trip. In fact, in Christ, God will restore humanity back to his original design. You could argue we're not truly human right now. Well, we are, but there's a part of us that's corrupted. We're not the original way God created mankind. And so Jesus kind of restores our humanity that's been distorted, manipulated, controlled, enslaved by sin. Christ restores what is broken. Christ heals what is hurt. Christ resurrects what's dead. And one day he'll bring us back to Genesis 1 and 2. Theologian Christopher Morgan writes, in God's story, sin is the backdrop, but not the point. And it's really important that we don't overtalk this. Can I say this? People tend to err in two different worlds. Number one, there are people who overestimate the image of God and deny sin. So, they, so Genesis 3, one, Genesis 1, 131, we're all God's image. God made, me, God made us all perfect. So nothing we do is wrong because why would God make something wrong? And so actually the image of God becomes an excuse to live how you wanna live according to your flesh. And at the same time, you deny Genesis 3, that there is sin. Are you with me? Yeah. On the other hand, because we love to beat up everybody at this church, just kidding. On the other hand, there are those who live in Genesis 3 all day long. Hammer, condemnation. All day long. Sin, sin, sin. So bad, so much so that they look at the sinner, they fail to realize you're a sinner too. Turn their nose up, condemn, beat, bruise. There's so many people that don't even come to church anymore because the church has destroyed them. And because they have not dignified them and their inherent dignity they have as image bearers no matter what they look like, no matter what pronoun they use. But we, gospel-centered, live in the tension of the image and sin. Amen, and I'm gonna finish here. In God's story, sin is the backdrop, but it's not the point. It enters in as an intruder, causes much havoc, and holds many in its clutches, but it's no match for the work of God in Christ. Amen? That was theologian. That wasn't my words. Christopher Morgan said that. I'm gonna read that in. In God's story, sin is the backdrop, but not the point. It enters in as an intruder, causes much havoc, and holds many in its clutches, but it is no match for the work of God in Christ. In a moment, we're gonna take communion together, but before we do that, I just wanna finish by saying this. Again, I didn't have time to cover everything, but can I just say, the work of Christ on the cross, this is why Christ comes. God puts on flesh and walks this earth, and he lives a perfect life. He's the only human 
besides Adam and Eve that's not, that's not with, with the sin nature. Jesus has no sin nature. And he didn't come through normal means. He came by the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus walks this earth as God in the flesh, commits no sin, and then is crucified on the cross for your sin. And what he does is he takes your alienation upon himself and he gives you what he has enjoyed and that's relationship with God. But here's the thing about salvation. It's comprehensive. Are you ready? And we're gonna finish here. There's these three words, justification, sanctification, and glorification. Justification, number one, is deliverance from the penalty of sin. The moment you put your trust in Jesus, the moment you say, you know what, I'm a sinner, and I put my faith and my trust in Christ who did not sin and died for my sin, the word is you're justified. Like, what do I got to do? Do I got to do other things? No. You put your faith in him. That's it. Do I gotta, what works do I got to do? Do I got to jump through hoops? Do I got to be perfect? Do I, that means I got to never fall. No, 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 no. You put your faith in Christ. You look to him. You put on his clothes. You give your dirty clothes. You wear his clothes to the party, not your own clothes. And in that moment, you're justified. It's a legal term. You know what it means? It means you're not guilty. You have been delivered from the penalty of sin. You are no longer condemned. Paul will say in Romans, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You no longer have to worry about condemnation. You'll stand before the Lord pure. He'll declare you righteous in Christ and you'll enter into his presence forever. Boom, justified. But that's not the only thing. We don't cheat this comprehensive salvation because the justification leads to sanctification. You know what that is? So if justification is deliverance from the penalty of sin, sanctification is deliverance from the power of sin. Hmm. Mm, we forget that one, don't we, right? That when we are in Christ, we're not only not guilty, but then we begin to walk out our sanctification and those sins that used to have power over me, those addictions, those things that used, to, that used to trip me up, those things that used to fall over and trip over, it doesn't happen overnight, y'all. So don't be hasty, don't try to beat yourself up, but you begin to continue to look at the gospel, put your trust in him, see the beauty of Jesus. What begins to happen is all of a sudden, you're not only delivered from the penalty of sin, but you begin to see in in your life with deliverance from the presence of sin. There was a time where I was addicted to pornography. Now there is a time where I'm not addicted to pornography. That sin doesn't have a hold on me. But when I first started walking with Christ, there's a slow process, but there is a sanctifying process in which you are delivered, not just from the penalty, but from the power. And here's the beautiful thing. One day we won't just have sanctification and justification, but we'll also have glorification. What is glorification? Not only are we delivered from the penalty of sin, you're not guilty. Not only are you being delivered from the power of sin, but one day we will all be delivered from the presence of sin. One day we'll be back in Genesis 1 and 2 where sin will not reign. We won't be enslaved to sin. We won't be alienated from God, alienated from ourselves, alienated from one another, alienated from creation. We're going to get to hang out with the tigers. <laughs> That's just random, but for some of you that might hit home right there. You're like, Man, feel out of all you said. I know we're in Christ, but hanging out with the tigers, like, that's it. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? That's what we have. That's our inheritance in Christ, in Christ Jesus. And you don't have to work for it. You just have to trust and believe. Trust and believe. Amen? Amen. So we're going to get ready to prepare our hearts for communion. But before we do that, can I invite you into just worshiping our Savior? who alone is worthy, and then I'm gonna usher us into communion together. 
Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspire Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspire Churches through Instagram at Inspire Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Inspire Churches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspirechurches.com for more information.